Hello, hello, hello. This is your friend, your sister in Christ, Jocelyn Jones, with the first episode of my podcast, Faith on the Journey. And I welcome you and I thank you for tuning in. And if you are new to the Faith on the Journey community, I am excited to have you here with us. And just in a nutshell, just to fill you in on what Faith on the Journey is about, it's, it's pretty simple. Our mission here is to help people to love life and embrace their journey by not allowing the pain from their past or current situation to hinder them from experiencing the promises of God. Because just because we're Christians, we we all recognize that we are going to experience pain. None of us are exempt from that. But even with that understanding, there are certain events that can happen in our lives that literally feel like they just take our breath away and can take a hold of us where we just feel like we're stuck. And if you're ever in a situation like that, along your journey, we just want to be there right by your side to let you know that you're not alone in your struggles and there's someone here with you who understands your pain. So on our podcast, you're going to hear me share parts of my journey as well as experiences of other people who have gone through similar experiences as you. And for today's episode, our first episode, we are going to dive into a subject that many people out there are struggling with, and that is the subject of shame. I define shame as the belief that we are not good enough and that God's grace is not big enough to cover our imperfections. I'm going to say that again. Shame is the belief that we're not good enough and that God's grace is not big enough to cover our imperfections. And shame, if I'll just be honest, is something that I struggled with for many years. I've struggled with perfectionism. I've struggled with mistakes that I've made in relationships. I've struggled with just so many things that contributed to my shame. And that's something that can really hold us in bondage. It can actually paralyze us and can linger in our lives for years if we allow it. And as Christians, even though we believe that we serve a loving God who has the ability to make all things new, shame has the ability to cause us to believe that we are not worthy. Shame at its root is invoked by our negative perception of how we appear to others and ourselves. And if we fall into this pit of shame, it can eventually lead us to believe that we're not worthy of God's love and we can find ourselves drifting away from our faith. And so I want to just dive into this subject today. And if you're listening out there and you're saying, man, she is talking to me. Let me tell you, you are not by yourself. Shame zeroes in on our insecurities. Like if you think about the the story from years ago in the 1800s, the, the Scarlet Letter, there was a woman named Hester who had a child out of wedlock and her secret became public and she was forced to wear a scarlet scarlet letter A on her breast that represented adultery. And those of us who are suffering from shame are often living our lives as if we're wearing a scarlet letter on our chest where no matter what we do, how we change ourselves, how we pray, we can't seem to rid ourselves of the shame that comes on us like a scarlet letter. 
you know, in this case, she committed adultery. So she's an adulterer. Or if someone steals, they're, they're a thief or if someone had an abortion, they're a murderer. And that's how society likes to label us. They like to label us for what we've done. But that's not who you are. That's not your identity. Your identity is rooted in Christ. And the only being that has the right to define us is our creator. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have to be able to recognize Satan and his schemes, his schemes of trying to convince us that we are less than what we are. Satan tries to define us based on our mistakes, but we serve a God of grace. So when the enemy tries to come up and tell you that because you made that mistake or because you were abused, that you're dirty, you can respond back by saying, no, that's not who I am. My Lord calls me the apple of his eye. When the devil says you're worthless, you can say, no, I'm not worthless. Lord calls me friend. And so we have to know who we are in Christ. And we're going to continue this conversation here. So if you could stay tuned, I'm going to bring a guest on the line shortly who is an amazing woman of God, but she had her bout with shame for many, many years. So stay tuned. I'm excited to have you with us. We're going to dive deep into this subject. We'll be right back. I'll never forgive you for what you did to me. I feel so dirty. (sighs) I just don't know who I am anymore. I can't believe I'll never see him again. I've got to be strong for my family. I can't let him see me cry. What happens in this house stays in this house. I can't take this anymore. I feel like I'm living my entire life behind a mask. The mask is the keeper of secrets and master of illusions. It despises authenticity, fears transparency, and knows no vulnerability. The mask will stop at nothing to keep its image intact and emotions at bay. In its simplest form, the mask is the facade we project to the world. But what is hidden in the dark will come to light. Even if we master the art of wearing the mask, the pain that we've buried has the power to hold us captive in the shackles of shame, anger, and despair. But there is power greater than our pain, greater than our past, and greater than what the world says about us. There is a God who can heal us from our pain and can free us from defining our values based on the world's standards. There is hope. And you can embark on your journey towards freedom by reading the book, Breaking the Power of the Mask, by author and motivational speaker, Jocelyn Jones. Discover the joy and healing that rightfully belongs to you. No more shame, no more fear, and no more hiding behind the mask. I'm breaking the power. I'm breaking the power. I'm breaking the power of the mask. Get your copy today by visiting BreakingTheMask.com. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Faith on the Journey. So as we continue our conversation about shame, I am excited to invite this awesome woman of God to the show with us today, Miss Karina Smith. 
when I tell you that this woman has so many accomplishments, you all are going to ask, how does she get this girl on the show? I mean, she has her undergrad degree in theater and arts from Columbia University, her master's in communications from Northwestern. Karina is currently pursuing her dual master's degree in science and divinity and master's of arts in bioethics. This woman's also the director of Christian Connect Singles Ministry at Family Christian Center in Munster, Indiana. She's an elder in the church and the list goes on. On top of that, she is just such a wonderful person with a smile that lights up the room. And so I'm so excited to welcome Karina to the show. Thank you for joining us, Karina. Sure. Thank you so much, Jocelyn, for having me on the show. I'm completely honored. God is moving in a mighty way through your ministry. I'm so proud of you, and I am so blessed to be a guest here to share with your audience today. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I um, grew up in the Chicagoland area. I am the youngest girl of six children. People used to call us the Brady Bunch, three girls and three boys, because we were <laughs> a blended family as well. Okay. And, um, yeah, I had a pretty um, normal uh, middle-class upbringing, grew up in a family of faith. My father was a United Methodist pastor, and my mother was a Chicago public school teacher. And we grew up every Sunday going to church. It was a huge part of my life, but God also was a bit of an anomaly because he was also a scary part of my life. I kind of equated God to um, my father, and when there were times that I did things where my parents were disappointed in me, you know, I was kind of told that God would be upset with me, and the way that God would be upset with me, I thought would be the same way my parents would be upset with me. My father grew up in a very strict household. His mother gave no quarter. She was very loving, very very kind, and very gracious, but he had very strict disciplinarians for parents, and so if you did anything out of line, they did not spare the ride at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of grew up with um, a healthy fear of the Lord in that I reverenced him and I was happy he made me, but I was also very afraid of him because I knew that he would get me similar to how my parents got me when I got out of line. And so Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I was age 13, I went away to a summer camp called Pembroke Institute, and it was for Chicago um, Black Renewal of United Methodist People. And it was specifically geared God is so funny. I had no idea at that time that God was preparing me. But it was specifically geared for young people who were interested in one day possibly going into ministry. I went to the camp simply to just go away and have fun. My older siblings had been going for years, and they talked about how much fun it was. But God had a different plan. He met me at that place. I remember being 13 years old. And um, all while I was growing up, I will tell you this, I was um, the third girl. My two older sisters are really very beautiful women, and they look similar to my mother, who was very fair-skinned, and um, they were both thin. I, on the other hand, took after my biological father, who uh, my father was very, very dark-skinned and very heavy-set. And so as I grew up, um, I had no idea that um, 
I had an inferiority complex, which is what my father used to tell me. I had no idea what that was, but he would tell me that I felt inferior to my sisters because I wasn't quite as beautiful as they were. I didn't have quite the long hair. I didn't have quite the light skin. And so I was a very, very shy, nervous child. Um, My aunt told me I was like three or four years old before I ever even let her hold me. I would cling on to my parents. And part of the shame came in from me feeling ashamed that I wasn't quite as pretty. And I took that shame and internalized it. I became very introverted. I was extremely smart. And because my mother was a teacher, she did not play with academics. So we would read. Even in the summers, every week we'd have a a book study to do, a, a book report. She would hold school in our basement for the neighborhood kids. And so I was very studious, extremely smart, gifted, and honored programs my entire life. But I didn't have very good social skills, and I did not feel good about myself um, physically because I wondered why I was so much darker, why I was so much heavier, and why my hair wasn't quite as long. And so that shame was attached to me, and especially once I found out that my mother really didn't want to have me because I used to ask questions when I was younger as to why I looked different. And they would make jokes that the stork barked me and the mailman left me on the front door. And I don't think that they realized at that time, you know, that it was setting in me a identity complex of uh, rejection, a spirit of rejection. And so, um, you know, I love my parents. They did the best they could with the tools that they had, knowing where they came from, too, and I'm extremely grateful for them. God has redeemed me and shown me that I belong to him, that he ultimately is my source. He's my father, and he blessed me to come here through my parents. He knew what my parents would have and be able to give me and not give me. And so I've been able to release, you know, that my parents weren't able always to really identify, help me identify a loving, healthy sense of self, but they have built in me a love for academics, they built in me a love for the Lord, and they built in me a love for um, the things of God, which is why I'll go back to the camp story. They helped me go to that camp, and that's where the Lord met me at. One of my father's friends, my father was a pastor, um, he spoke on a scripture that I had never heard in my 13 years, and he said that, did you know you are wonderfully and beautifully made in the image of God? And I looked yeah. around the room. <laughs> yeah. I looked around the room and I saw all these other pretty skinny girls and cute skinny boys, you know, and he he must have sensed that I didn't receive it in that moment because he looked directly at me and he said, You too, Karina, do you know that you are wonderfully and beautifully made in the image of God and that you are the apple of his eye. The Lord sings and rejoices over you. And in that moment it was when God gave me a breakthrough to start being able to redeem my self-worth, reconcile my identity in him, and start to have a nugget of belief that I, too, though I didn't look like my sisters, that I didn't have what was traditionally a, a, a beauty that my the rest of my family um, adored, that I still was beautiful in God's eyes. And so if you mm-hmm. will fast forward, you know, I um, I can tell you that, Going through high school, going through college, my parents ended up passing away when I was 19 years old. And they um, 
it was really, 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 really hard for me. They wanted the best for me. My parents always tried to put us in the best programs. They always wanted us to do the best that we could do. Maybe the methods weren't always probably the most orthodox, <laughs> but they did the best that they could. And they um, instilled in us a sense of wanting to do our best. And so I achieved and accomplished a lot of things in life. As some of the things you've heard, some of them were born out of me still trying to prove that I was good enough and that I was worthy and acceptable, but also just because my parents put inside of me uh, uh, an ambition to be driven and to do things for God's glory. And so I achieved a lot. And I remember when I was in my mid-20s, my one thing I could not achieve was reconciling my identity in Christ being proud of who I am, being able to look in the mirror and see beauty, being able to know that I was acceptable. And I, I remember praying for two years, Jocelyn, and I was like, God, I'm able to, you know, complete school. I'm able to get this great job. I'm able to buy a house. I'm able to do this car, all those worldly accomplishments that look good on paper. I was like, I'm able to do all these things, and I believe you for them, and I know it was you who helped me get them, but God, why can't I believe you for my weight? Why can't I believe you for my beauty? And it was a family friend who is now my sister's best friend who used to go to our old church who just encouraged me um, for about two years while I was praying. And she said her husband was a medical doctor, and she's a psychiatrist, and she just kind of counseled me. I used to babysit her kids. And she asked me one day, she was like, Karina, have you ever thought that maybe God, you know, has a different way for you to do things? Because I'll tell you, since I was nine years old, my parents did any and everything they could to help me get healthy. I started Weight Watchers at age nine. I've been on every plan, every pill, every diet, anything you ever want to name, I've been on it all. And um, I would have success, but inevitably the weight would end up coming back. And so in 2005... Um, after much careful prayer and consideration, I was uh, blessed to be able to have weight loss surgery. And through that surgery, I was able to lose 230 pounds. Great Basically, God. two human beings <laughs> came up of my body. And with that weight loss came a lot of shame loss. It was extremely cathartic, but really a hard process, I'll tell you honestly, Jocelyn, because I did not realize so many things that I covered up with eating that I could no longer cover with eating that I was faced to deal with. And um, those challenges posed themselves mightily, you know, in my uh, life. But God is faithful. Karina, I hate to interrupt, but I think you said something that was very important. I want to make sure that our listeners don't miss this. Because from what I was hearing you say, it sounds like you realized that it wasn't just the food. It was a deeper issue that you were trying to cover up. And for those guests who are unfamiliar, I recently published a book called Breaking the Power of the Mask. And we talk about how we as individuals often wear different masks to cover up pain that's inside. We can wear the mask of uh, shopping and we can use the mask of sex and we can use the mask of eating all these different masks that don't actually address the core issue. And so when you were talking about that, I, I want to just ask you to dive deeper and just tell us about your process of really discovering 
that you were trying to use food to cover up that pain? And what were you really trying to cover up? That's a wonderful question. So what I was actually trying to cover up, I realized one day driving to work, I was listening to um, a gospel radio station, I think it was 1390, and she talked about idolatry. And I had never heard anyone talk about idolatry in this way where she said anything you turn to outside of God for comfort is an idol. And I always thought not having another God before you was what was idolatry, and I was like, I only worship one God, Jesus Christ, this one sovereign true God. But then she started naming items such as what you just named that can become your idols, food, sex, gambling, uh, shopping, and all those. And I said, oh, my goodness, I have created an idol in my life. I knew for years that comforting for me was food. When my feelings were hurt because someone said something really mean or nasty to me or I was under extreme stress or I was sad about, you know, missing my parents or I was just feeling just unacceptable and unworthy because, you know, I did not have an identity that was uh, celebrated, I would eat. I would sneak and eat. I would hide and eat. I would pretend that I didn't eat as much as I did in front of others. I would have small portions. When I would be on my own, I would go and binge eat. I would go, like, to the local corner store <laughs> and buy so many things, you know, and just stuff them into my body until the pain went away. It was a numbing system. I was using it to anesthetize the pain that I felt from all the rejection that I had, not only from, you know, I was feeling from my core family, but from others. You know, boys didn't like me like they liked other girls. You know, maybe my teachers didn't affect me as much. I didn't get in quite as many roles while I was acting because I was so overweight. And so I dealt with those things instead of taking them to the Lord in prayer and asking God to heal my identity. I did what I was taught. My dad was great and modeling for me. Karina, you're sad. Would you like to get something to eat? Let's get something to eat and it'll feel better. And that became my mantra. That became the way of life for me. And so, wow. um, so now, Karina, let me, let me ask you, you said instead of going to God, you, you went to food, but I also am curious about your internal dialogue in these moments. What was the enemy, Satan, the devil, saying to you about yourself during these seasons? Mm. So it's so funny. Um, a few years ago, I found some of my old journals. I've always been a writer. I found some of my old journals from when I was younger. And it was so full of hatred, self-loathing. I was ugly. I was fat. I was stupid. I wasn't good enough. I was too dark. I was too fat. The enemy just had his way with me so many years, Jocelyn. I could not say anything positive about myself. And it was actually Crystal, the family friend who was a psychiatrist, that got me to, um, you know, to look into a medical alternative to help me with the weight loss, who had a session with me. She asked me, tell me three good things about you. And literally, I couldn't do it. She was like, Karina, tell me three things you like about yourself. And I could not name three things. Even though I had accomplished so many things on paper, I could not be proud of myself or celebrate myself. And so I just lived for years under anguish of shame, doubt, guilt, 
ridden with um, not being enough. And so once I um, once I had that surgery and I started to shed a lot of the weight, a lot of the issues that I had buried under food became very surface level. And um, I was forced to deal with a lot of them. Uh, some of them created a lot of anger in me, to be honest with you, because I felt like, you know, there were some things that were done that were so unfair and that I uh, just did not have the ability to wrestle with in my own reasoning. And it forced me to find a community, a, a church, a body of believers who ended up being similar to me. I ended up going to a church where the median age was, I think, 27. The pastor was very young. It was not United Methodist anymore. Um, it was very different for me. It was the first time I had ever been at a church where someone in my family wasn't the pastor. Either my dad was my pastor or my sister, who was a bishop in the United Methodist Church, was my pastor. And I was like, I want to do something different. And my sister right above me led me to that church, and God healed me that process of healing began in that church. And I remember every Sunday <laughs> at the end of his sermon, the pastor would say, I may be black and I may be ugly, but thank God I'm here. I'm here. And I remember <laughs> that line. <laughs> right. I remember that line so clearly because I felt like Celia in the color purple. My mother used to love that movie and I used to watch <laughs> it all the time. <laughs> and when you say so that, funny. it resonated. Mm-hmm. It resonated so deeply with me, and he helped us to rebuild our our identity in Christ, Pastor Sean. And I was so grateful for my time at that church under that ministry because that was the church I was at when I had the surgery. That was the church that I was at when I really just started recognizing, you know what, I may have a different kind of beauty. I may not look like X, Y, and Z, but, hey, I'm here, and thank God I'm here. And I am blessed anyway. God can do things in more than just way. I one way. Yes. I am beautiful. I am acceptable. I am smart. I am loving. And it was at that church that I began to really spend a lot of personal time with the Lord and grow my relationship with Him outside of just Sunday mornings. It was Bible studies and it was prayer time alone. It was me just consecrating myself to the Lord. You know, I cut out. Um, everything that wasn't Christ, you know, I cut it out for a long time and I ended up going into um, a season where God kind of just separated me and he allowed me to be able to uh, get some ideas from him about who I was and then he had me to write a book called... Um, oh, okay now. Yeah, the book is... What, what is it called? It's still in work. Okay. It's called Godfidence. E-O-D, instead uh-huh. of confidence, is God. Yes, confidence. I know it. So I'm going to have to have you back on. Come on, girl. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, yes, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. So now we're we're running short for time, Karina. So I, uh, this the story has been so amazing, and I know I know some of our listeners out there are just saying she is talking to me because I'm going through the same thing. And so mm-hmm. I want you to speak to them right now. I want you to share if there's someone out there who is listening who is just struggling with their identity, struggling with shame feeling like they're just not good enough, feeling like, mm-hmm. you know, no one understands or loves them, what would you say directly to them? Yes. 
Absolutely. Listener, caller, whoever you are listening right now, it is not a coincidence that God has put me here to speak to you today. And I just want to tell you right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you are loved that you are beautiful, that you are acceptable, that you are approved, that you are God's child, and that he has his mark on you. You are the Imago Dei. That means the image of God. You are made in his image, and you are beautiful no matter what you look like physically. You are well-loved. You are able, and don't let the enemy condemn you. When you feel shame, condemnation, when you feel rejected, that is the work of the enemy, and sometimes the enemy is so slick, he will do it through our own family members and those who love us. That doesn't mean that they don't love you. There is dysfunction and sin in the world, so the enemy will try to come in and break up families, but I want you to know today that God loves you. He will redeem you. He will restore you. Look to your identity in Christ. Allow him and his voice to define who you are. Get into the Word. Find out what God says you are. You are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. You are brave. You are the apple of his eye. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You have to speak those things of yourself. Daily I wake up in the morning, and I tell myself who I am in Christ. I have put worship music in the atmosphere, and I allow the Lord to meditate to my heart and to heal me. It's a daily process, and we walk these things out. So I would just encourage you to get around people who love you, those who can encourage you. And when others aren't around to encourage you, you encourage yourself in the Lord because God has a mighty great thing for you to do. And the more I feel like the more you feel, the worse that the enemy tries to come and make your life is because God has a great, wonderful plan in place for you. And he is trying to stop your greatness and your destiny. But the devil is a lie. You do what? God told you to do and stand on Jeremiah 29 11, which is what he gave me all these years. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for your good and not for your harm, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope in the future. And that's the same thing that he has for you. So I would encourage you, let the Lord heal you. Seek him. Give him your trauma. Give him your drama. Allow him to be able to speak into your life. Get around people who will support you and love you and know that the devil is alive. You know what, Karina? You really just bless my soul. I thank God for you. And I thank God more so for your willingness to be transparent and share your story. Because I know some of our listeners really needed to hear that. Because your testimony is a reminder about how God can use us even in our brokenness to do some amazing things. And that's what we're all about here, Faith on the Journey. We want you to know, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what pain you've experienced, no matter who has done you wrong, God can use you to do amazing things for the kingdom. And there is still hope. So if this is your first time learning about Faith on the Journey, I want you to go visit our website at faithonthejourney.org and subscribe and check out all the amazing testimonies that are online. We have stories of people who've overcame abuse. We have uh, stories of people who've overcome addiction and so many other obstacles in life. So be sure to just become a part of the Faith on the Journey family and look out for our next episode next Friday for our next Faith Friday feature. But until next time, we'll keep praying for you and encouraging you to keep the faith. Be blessed, everyone.